and welcome to the second episode of The Beaten Track. We're an indie music podcast, um, and I'm one of the hosts, Joe Bullock, and I'm joined by Louis Baker, my co-host. Hello, Joe. How are you? Fantastic. I'm, um, I'm boiling, but I'm, but I'm good. Yeah, it's rather toasty here in England, and today we're doing an episode on live albums. Yeah, a hot topic for a hot week. Yes, well, I mean... <laughs> probably the same temperatures as other topics i think really although yeah. live i suppose it's uh you know live is kind of feisty yeah it's hot if you're in an audience obviously are you are you, are you hot on live albums joe is it something you enjoy often i'm not uh, i'm a partial enjoyer of live albums i'm i mainly listen to recorded albums that have been planned out rather than yeah. live ones so but i feel like that's everyone in the world i listen to the good ones i think i generally yeah. sort of ignore them i guess if like a band that i like comes out of a live album i'm not particularly chasing after it unless i hear a really good thing I'd, yeah i'd agree i'd agree i'd say maybe even slightly skeptical of them sometimes but um i think the good live albums are probably few and far between actually but mm. the good ones are certainly worth a listen but yeah i'm the same if someone releases an album that i like and it's live album i'm yeah i have a tendency to ignore it and and, and never never listen i don't know i feel like it's there's a fine line between just a live album just being a sort of worse recording of something you've already heard and then you get some that like just sound way better so it's like i don't know yeah it depends a lot on instrumentation and things like just how the band sounds, really. Some really suited, and some just sound a little worse. Even if it was a live gig in person, it doesn't quite transfer to the recording. Yeah, you, you're obviously trying to transfer that experience, aren't you, from uh, from one medium to another, and it's um, it's difficult. And yeah, I, w- I think most, I would say most, fail to uh, to bring anything new. And you sometimes do feel like you're just listening to something you've you've heard a better version of before and, and, and find yourself uh, disappointed. I quite, I quite like sort of watching live shows and stuff, like occasionally, I guess. But I guess once it's put on an album, it does become this kind of, I don't know, more of a product that's like you're expecting something of it, I guess, or something, some fresh sort of interpretation. Yeah. Because most most live concerts are not given that status, I suppose. So... As we do uh, every episode, later on we'll be reviewing a um, live album slash concert film, which is exciting. That's what I thought about when I was thinking about this topic, though. I was like, oh, we could have done one on concert films, so I guess. Yeah, yeah, we could have, actually. Maybe we've gone too soon. Well, this one's interesting, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll we'll be talking about Stop Making Sense by Talking Heads later. Yeah. But first of all, why don't we delve into a... Live albums in general, yeah. The the separate some good ones from the nap ones, I guess. Yeah. Well, actually, I feel like they well they're going to seem good because I haven't really written down any terrible ones. I don't think, but yeah, I haven't thought of any. I think also there are some examples of perhaps slightly shoddy recordings that, in some way, convey something that is quite quite interesting as well i mean the one i had written down for that was um the stooges live album uh 
metallic KO, which is just like an absolute mess of a recording. And it's just all throughout the recording, it's just Iggy getting thrown bottles at him and um, stuff being thrown in from the crowd. And the, the it's 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 not great, but it is kind of memorable in a way. Yeah, and I mean, there's ones that, that are like that that are sort of great as well, I guess. I mean, I was thinking of, I guess it's, so there's some that aren't technically a live album because it's just how, because ba- Bad Brains' uh, sort of self-titled album is, I guess, a live album, but I think it's lots of different live recordings yeah. rather. And it's just the way that sort of a lot of their songs are best interpreted, I guess. So, mm. I mean, that's great. And then uh, I guess a lot of other punk ones, there's the Ramones, um, have a great live album, and uh, Velvet Underground uh, live recordings yeah. are quite, you know, quite a lot of their albums have a very sort of lo-fi style. So going on a live album doesn't particularly, uh, it's not necessarily a particularly different sound, but then you've got alterations of these tracks that are kind of yeah. quite interesting and quite good. So. Well, I mean, and there's other things that came to mind in terms of sometimes when I think of live albums, what I'm actually thinking of is live recordings that have been overdubbed in some way as well, or um, like I, I thought of Neil Young's Russ Never Sleeps, but which is essentially a, a live album, but with quite a lot of work done on top of it. Not that it loses its sense of being a live album necessarily, but probably isn't quite the same as, as experiencing something that's just a straight up recording of a, of a gig. Yeah, there's like a few examples that are like implementing live or majority live or, you know, that kind of thing. I, I mean, I haven't listened to the Neil Young one, but is, is it just like overdubs and stuff? Yeah, it's, it's, it's overdubs. And it's, a, it's a great album, but, you, you know, you could be excused for forgetting it was a live album until you hear the sort of applause at the end of the track. Do you know what I mean? It's got mm. the it's got that sort of feeling about it. That's an interesting one as as well as uh, the idea of the audience being present in a live recording and how sort of good slash annoying that can be as like an effect. Yeah, I, I remember a lot of the Beatles live recordings is like you're just hearing like the screaming of teenage girls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For like there was the re-release of the um, well, they re-released the. A concert film alongside Eight Days a Week, but they also re-released the Hollywood Bowl album. Yeah, and it's like, in a certain sense, I th- I felt they, you know, they remixed it to sort of quieten down the sounds of people screaming, essentially. So, but I mean, I guess that's part of the charm in a certain sense. Yeah, and I think there's there's, there's albums that probably do that quite well as well. I think like James Brown's Live at the Apollo. I think the audience participation if you like on that is quite does that quite well and you've got you there is a sense when you're listening to that that you can tell that he's sort of um he's worn the room over do you know what i mean and he's and that people are engaged in in the recording but there's the balance between that and yeah the beatles sort of thing and and obviously that that's just part and parcel of what it's like having a live album isn't it you've got a it is a live experience with people there and you've got a in some way sort of transfer that into um, an album experience, which is, as we said before, it's difficult. I think when you have a presence as powerful as James Brown, maybe it's like he does have that control of the audience, whereas like um, maybe some artists are sort of, you know, experiencing a certain 
a crowd that isn't sort of in tune with them as much. So it's like... Well, the Stooges example of that is, I think it, Iggy Pop, Iggy stops and at one point in the recording just to say, look, you know, whoever's thrown that glass bottle at me, yeah, try and get me next time or whatever. It's just sort of, it's a complete and utter sort of car crash of a uh, of a gig. Mm. And they, and the band don't sound bothered at all. It's sort of a kind of, it's an F you to, uh, to everybody in the crowd. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, what are the, uh, so what great live albums have you got noted down? Well, I mean, one to start with, because it is, I feel like this is, if I chose a live album that is my favorite, I would have to go at Folsom Prison. Uh, yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad you went there. And I, mean, I thought I probably could have predicted it as well. Wow, you love it. I love it. It's just one of the, and it's kind of clean in a sense. The instrumentation is so precise and like the recordings are so great of like his voice and stuff. But then you've got the interplay with the prison inmates that adds yeah. this sort of the raw sense of like outlaw country to like the more sort of melodic. Um, elements and it's it's just a phenomenal album Pro- probably the best um johnny cash album i'd say i would yeah i would completely agree i think the sound of it is superb and i think just um yeah i think the whole uh, part of the reason why that's such a great album is this sort of i think live albums are often great when they come at a time in someone's career that's particularly like interesting or of note and I think with Johnny Cashman, like kind of struggling in his career, although he played like prisons before that, I think everything like came together on that recording and kickstarted a bit of a sort of, um, you know, a restart in his career. And it's such a fantastic, I mean, some of the, um, the, the his, his voice on that album is fantastic. And like recordings of things like Cocaine Blues, I don't think they've sounded better on anything else apart from that album. No, they are like the canonical sort of versions of those songs that are included on like compilations yeah. and stuff as well. They just surpass the originals essentially in any way. Um, yeah, I guess it also is links so much with his persona and like the project of what he's trying to do by visiting the prisons and stuff that it does become a sort of entity in itself that's really interesting. It's not just a live concert of Johnny Cash playing. It's this very specific context. Yeah, yeah there's a whole sort of, there's almost a narrative behind the whole whole thing in terms of himself and him being arrested and the and the sort of character that he he was and he portrayed and the whole sort of blue collar um sort of slightly rebellious figure dressed in black it just kind of works so well with that sort of prison um sort of atmosphere it's super but you know i would I completely agree i think that would be my go to uh live album Okay. Um, one I thought about that's not actually one of my favorite live albums, but is maybe for our generation and the generation before us, I guess, is uh, seen as a seminal one, I guess, is MTV Unplugged, the Nirvana one. Yeah. Yeah. That was one that I don't know. I don't know what it is about it, but it just seems off putting um, personally, but obviously it has a great deal of, you know, critical admiration and stuff. But, um, yeah, not something that I've ever delved into. Or, well, I mean, in terms of the covers that are on the album, they're amazing. I love the two Meat Puppets covers they have, the David yeah. Bowie cover as well. But when it comes to the actual versions of Nirvana's songs, I would say, with like very rare exceptions, I'd prefer to listen to the album versions of those songs. Yeah, I think 
I think that's a good point, actually. I think covers in general, is, it comes in with live albums because a lot of um, uh, a lot of the recordings of bands' own songs um, are maybe slightly disappointing or, or don't perhaps live up to the original recording or don't add anything, maybe. But there are a lot of examples of covers in live albums that stand out. Um, that one, you know, later on, the same with, with Talking Heads. We'll talk about the cover in that one and yeah, I think there's a couple of examples. If you wanted to talk about another one, um, The Who, uh, Live at Leeds. I think the thing that I enjoy about that album is um, is the covers at the um, on the first side. The um, The Who's own songs, my generation. I, I'm, you know, I don't think it really adds a great deal to that track, but I enjoyed the cover of Shaking All Over. I mean, I remember really enjoying that album, but I haven't gone back to it in quite a time. And I generally don't like the Who. The, the, <laughs> said that really weird. The Who. So it's like, <laughs> but I remember it being more having this more freeing sort of inner life setting, this more sort of sense of improvisation of sort of um, yeah, just going all over the place with those tracks in in a really interesting way. So I mean, it sounds great. It's a it is a fantastic, and I, I think again, it's it's like an important point that in their career as well when you know and it, this sound that they were sort of uh the hard rock sound that they were sort of mastering at the time you know the who i don't think have ever sounded quite as good as they do on that on that record and again i'm you know i'm not a, a massive who fan but i do certainly the first couple of tracks on that on that recording are um are standout tracks hmm. yeah i mean I... all the ones that that i all the ones that i thought about mentioning there's not actually that many. I, I was thinking about different ones. I mean, obviously, I think there was another Neil Young one I thought about mentioning, um, being uh, Ark Weld, um, with another great cover of um, Bob Dylan's Blowing in the Wind. Um, and that sounds, it's an f- absolutely fantastic sounding record because um, it captures the energy and the um you know the prolonged nature of all the um of all the tracks on there and some of the the greatest sort of um, versions of each of them tracks like you said with um with the johnny cash one the sort of can canonical sort of recordings of those live recordings of those tracks they sound fantastic and neil young's probably got a fair amount of sort of live recordings of, of longer versions of the tracks but there's something about that one in particular that sort of stands out but further on than that I think I do struggle in, th- in thinking of, of sort of standout live performances that convey the energy or the uh, the experience of the of the artist yeah I mean the, the other ones I had are fairly um, some of them fairly sort of uh, popular live albums. I had uh, Allman Brothers at Fillmore East, which I do really enjoy. Yes, yeah. great sort of live album again. That sense of improvisation of sort of blues rock, sort of filtered through this sort of almost jazz like just sense of improvisation and just jamming. Essentially, it's a great album. And I, alongside the Grateful Dead's Live Dead, which in a similar way uh, sort of exceeds their studio recordings. Um, and then I had Swan's public castration as a good idea, which is quite a good summation of Swan's early work, I think. Very raw, very sort of just an opportunity for them to showcase the best songs of their rather sort of extensive discography. Yeah. 
but yeah, not not a huge wealth. Of the other thing. one, I think Radiohead's. Um, I might be wrong. Um, is an interesting one because although maybe I'm not crazy about that album, I think it's 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 got a couple of standout tracks in it. I think like True Love Waits is is fantastic, and I think but I think it's interesting mainly because it's it was a time when again it came at an important time in someone's career, but like it was the time when Radiohead had just released you know Kid A, Amnesiac, and perhaps didn't sound very sort of live and didn't sound very sort of like they were it's maybe losing that human side a little bit and that recording brings that back a little bit um and that's part of the reason why i enjoy that because i think coming from two very you know intensely yeah it's something about the human side of, of those two albums perhaps is a little bit lacking and that recording does bring that back um but yeah, I mean, beyond that, there's not a, there's not a great deal of um, other standout live performances that I I was thinking of when we uh, when we decided on the theme. No, I mean, I imagine if you looked into like a lot of folk artists, a lot of country artists, you know, blues artists, stuff like that, it would even soul and things like that. I mean, there's probably a, a lot of good live albums, a lot of good jazz live albums. But I mean, in terms of the ones that came into mind instantly yeah there's not not a huge one yeah well there was a huge one that came to mind and that is uh stop making sense Okay, smooth, is that a smooth enough slide yeah, into the? Uh, yeah, we'll go I'm with interested. that. I'm interested to talk about this one. Yeah, well, why don't we talk about it? We'll give you I'll give a little bit of an intro into this. Is stop making sense. Uh, Talking Heads concert film uh, combined with uh, live album slash soundtrack uh, from I believe 1985, but I could have made that up. And kind of at the peak of Talking Heads' career, if you like when they were at the sort of powerful best. Uh, and yeah, probably also the standout concert film that I, I, I could name and has had a great deal of critical success. Yeah, and uh, popular success. I mean, it's at the cusp of when they've just released Speaking in Tongues, the like, commercial breakthrough, so it's hugely successful. And then the film was successful enough to give david Byrne a directing um scripting essentially he made his own sort of feature film after this um true stories so it was a commercial and a critical hit basically alongside the album and when you get to this point in their discography you've had remain in light and fear of music and speaking in tongues so they're really it's like they've had a even quite a sizable career up until this point, but they're also sort of peak talking heads, like they're performing yeah. really, really tight, amazing live shows. Yeah, I think you're right. 
yeah, it just comes at that that right sort of time when you know probably at the peak of their powers and they they do sound fantastic throughout and you know it it had to come at, at this point because of the amount of fantastic songs you know the the back catalogue of songs that they play is that they choose for this is fantastic and yeah they do sound incredibly tight and confident as well um it's almost i'm sorry go on it's almost got the sense of like being a sort of greatest hits thing when they do like uh this must be the place into like once in a lifetime and things like that these these pairings of like insanely popular songs that they've done it's just it just feels like every song is a hit essentially and every nothing's wasted yeah it is so I mean, I guess the the main sense of discussions to me on the film essentially because they're obviously quite similar. And I don't know when it when it comes to this album. I mean, it's obviously a hugely uh, highly regarded uh, film and album. And I just think something to mention about it that sort of differs from like some of the live albums we talked about is I think it's not particularly unconventional it is just a band playing at the height of their powers essentially yeah yeah i think it's got that sense of yeah that it, and it and it's sort sort of it's conventional in the sense that it is just um a gig and the whole way it's shot is not meant to um you know the, the part of the sort of point of it is to convey the performance more than anything else you know not not sort of capture um the audience's reaction as you often get in sort of live gigs or the um you know the you know all the rest of it that you used to see and in sort of um mtv style live performances you know the close-ups on the guitar solo fingers or whatever it's yeah. more about capturing the theatrical performance that um the talking heads were putting on yeah i mean jonathan demi's directing style in this is incredibly sort of minimal you get a shot at the start that begins with David Byrne's silhouette essentially and kind of tracks out and it's kind of this great opening and this great uh, sort of just him doing a solo version of uh, Psycho Killer that kind of starts yeah. the film. It's just a, a slow build from there. It's just, it's a, it's a concert that's kind of very, everything's got intent behind it and there's different props and different types of performance that are brought in, but it doesn't feel particularly sort of, showy in like a sort of rock opera sense or like a no. it is just a lot of wide shots of like seeing this band performing and the just how well integrated everything is and just you know the performance there's a lot of sense of the performers just having a great time they're always dancing they're always doing this sort of mock running uh, in almost yeah. every song there's a, there's a complete joy to the entire sort of the entire film the entire recording it just sounds there is so much energy and so much, um, yeah, enthusiasm and an incredible amount of um, of passion as well throughout everything. And it is you can't fail but fail to enjoy the um, the way in which that's captured as well by the uh, the cameras. They're not intrusive. They're not. It's not constant sort of close ups. They have you have enough of those. The the wide shots are absolutely fantastic with the shadows um spread onto the um to the back of the stage and i think the other thing is that just how good the um the sort of narrative 
of the film is with the start from you know the very minimal um david byrne coming on to psycho killer um just him the acoustic guitar the boombox, and the slowly building of the band and the set building up to this crescendo that is um obviously the theatrics at the end i think yeah works really well each song at the start introduces a new member so it's kind of this you know as you get in some gigs it's like this introduction of each member but it's kind of showcasing their talents and songs that sort of emphasize these so you get the the drums coming on first and the bass well you get the bass first sorry and then drums and then guitar and it's kind of this progression and, and you go from uh, a set that's obviously sort of in this process of being built it's got all this scaffolding and stuff into a, a black background and then eventually you come to like these uh, massive screens and like props and things like that it's kind of yeah everything sort of it's quite kind of a progression and i think you maybe even see that you know even in terms of david burns clothes you know as getting larger and bigger and the statement becoming a becoming more as the as the as the recording goes on yeah you you do get the iconic suit uh, at some point in the film yeah david byrne looking like a sort of year seven on his first day of school until <laughs> you know you will grow into it that his sort of just, that sort of look yeah. i mean yeah he's he's amazing his stage presence is kind of it's kind of intoxicating in a way it's kind of charisma but also the slight awkwardness yeah it's it's brilliant and they're sort of incessant nodding of the head and the um the ability to yeah like you say it has a slight awkwardness he goes from kind of being he can be sort of slightly robotic and um almost like almost like dad dancing at times and then the next minute you know he's fluidly sort of moving those sort of pendulum swinging kneecaps that he has oh yeah it's amazing He's got it's the amazing. ability to sort of slide between the two. When he's in the suit and he's like wobbling around and stuff, it's <laughs> such the sense of like fluidity and it's so fun to just watch. Like it is brilliant. It, it was fantastic. And the um yeah, the the head the head nodding and, and the and the sort of the movement from him throughout is yeah, it is it is brilliant, but at the same time, it doesn't the film the the film isn't just about the, the film doesn't focus solely on him. There is enough of a sort of a, a capturing of the other elements of the band as well, the, whether it be the other singers or the percussion or all the rest of it. There isn't a sense that this is just you just watching David Byrne, which is nice actually, because I think the the whole the thing as a whole actually comes out, and that slow introduction of the band, you know, is you can kind of see the ensemble coming on. It's not just a sort of David Byrne show. Yeah, and it's not just talking heads, right? There's like backing vocalists and. It's it's all about the interaction between these singers and the very, just, yeah. There is a sense of everyone having fun, sort of. In contrast to the aftermath of Talking Heads, where everyone fell out and doesn't talk yeah. to each other. Yeah, everyone's room's quite. Would you like to get into some songs then? I mean, I guess one thing that's notable about the Psycho Killer cover it, it does omit the sort of famous bass riff, so it is a different, definitely a different iteration of the song. The yeah, it's acoustic. quite a... Yeah, it's a kind of brave thing to do, isn't it? Come out with to that track. That's yes, it's it is fantastic, and um, it is kind of a little bit sort of um, 
reminds you of the of the sort of topic of the song starting with quite this sort of clean um you know electric drum and burns strumming and then slowly sort of disintegrates towards the end where um you know it's just his strumming then him falling over which is reminiscent of a link to last week reminiscent of um Paul Belmondo at the end of Breathless where he's sort of fallen and slightly and then brings yeah. it back together. Yeah, it's, it's it's all about the timing as well. It's about the sort of intricate, like this very repetitive strumming of the guitar. You get this extended sequence at the end of the song where he is, he's falling, but then he's regaining himself and like performing these strums like perfectly. It's kind of, it is, it's a show of talent as well yeah. as being this kind of performance art type thing. Yeah, and then you get that sort of slow, slow build up into songs like um, "Thank You for Sending Me an Angel," um, into "Found a Job," you know. And these songs are just—I don't know. I think watching it, I was reminded about how, just how strong the songwriting was on those songs, and just how fantastic as songs they are. And the band sounds fantastic throughout that sort of progression towards. Um, Burning Down the House, which I think is the first one where sort of everybody's on the stage. I thought Slippery People was the one with the everyone on the stage. Was that just... I thought the backing vocalists were introduced in Slippery People. Yeah, the backing then... vocalists are introduced in okay. Slippery People and they, and they sound sort of incredible, actually. Yeah, it's the interplay between like the lyric of uh, It's All Right and then like He's Okay. It's kind of this, um, yeah, this vocal response, this call and response idea. And yeah, I mean, burning down the house is an early point in the film where it's like it's definitely got this sort of party vibe. It's they're straight into this sort of proper, just everyone's having a great time, including yeah. the audience. And it's yeah, it's a, yeah, the energy within that performance is yeah. That's when the, it starts to really kickstart into the sort of the middle of the performance, if you like. And yeah, it, it's funny, but I think by that point you're kind of you're gripped onto the idea of this progression and then sort of slightly wondering where it's going to take take you next and then you come into a sort of this sort of slow crescendo that we have i mean i mean standout tracks on towards the the back end i've got to be obviously this must be the place is is incredible yeah, you get the prop work with the, like the lamp and stuff that he's playing with. Yes, yeah. I think also what you get a sense of is how you're saying how great like a lot of these tracks are. I think one of the things that makes it cohere so much as a live album is David Byrne's lyrics. While being like really great, they're often like cohering to like very similar themes. So like about the monotony of like daily life or like yeah, yeah, I think yeah, they're all definitely. I think similar. well, obviously, I mean. The second album being called more songs about buildings and, and food is that is that what it's called i think and then i'm not sure if it's food or not. yeah i don't know oh. yeah i think there's that sense of yeah burn is it's consistent in that idea and it's a lot you know once in a lifetime is probably the best example of you know the, the song about the sort of mundanity of consumerism and how you know we're all just sort of kind of sitting back and not really involved in our life until we asked you know how did i get here um and kind of a slightly strict back performance of once in a lifetime i enjoyed i enjoyed that yeah i mean i guess that's also like the great 
that's i mean that's how i feel when i go to live shows is they are sort of this break in, in mundanity or like yeah they're definitely you know is a obviously not what he was going for but it is a sort of once in a lifetime experience it's kind of it does break off the kind of mundanity it's a a, a single experience where people are coming together regardless of you know whatever jobs or what, however else they define their lives like ordinarily so it works really yeah. well as like um and then, I mean, then the strength of the of of the songs there as well. I mean, we could talk about loads of them. I mean, "Girlfriend" is better. Again, such an incredible, such an incredible performance. You know, you could name almost every track down to a T that they are superb. I mean, "Girlfriend" is better is definitely notable for the appearance of the huge suit. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. And it's it's probably my favourite Talking Heads song. It's it's just like incredible, and they're having so much fun with like the synths and things like that. They're just playing around, and it's a very yeah. extended song where they can kind of. I'm, there's there's just I don't know. There's such a variation there, but also like a a consistency and like a, a stylistic sort of just yeah, absolutely think, the pinnacle. Yeah, I think you see that. And then you do really feel that progression from the start when it was, it was more stripped back and it was just you know guitar and bass and and up towards the end and girlfriend is better and I think to me the standout track, also my favourite Talking Heads track is, take me to the river. last week about a cover and i think this is perhaps one of the few covers that can that can rival that one because it's just it's just superb and and different in style completely to the breeders cover um because it's more of a sort of um it's the sort of enigmatic end to this uh to this one and 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 is the crescendo of this performance but the sound of it is fantastic hmm. yeah i mean yeah, I guess it's kind of a bold move to to use a cover in that sort of setting, and it's yeah, it's another one where it's just a total. You can't. It's like it just cares so much that it is a version that you want to listen to outside of the co- the concert sort of setting. It's I don't know. It's another one that rewards the interplay of all the different musicians and stuff and all the backing vocalists. I think it does have this enigmatic quality, but. Yeah, there's also, it does, it just fits really well, yeah. I mean, one thing I say about this film is it's it's regarded as like, by some people, as the best concert film ever, and I'm not sure. It's, it's almost something I find quite hard to categorise or to merit that, because, yeah, like we said, it, in many ways, it feels like a very standard concert film. Maybe it's, in a sense, it's the, the high watermark, just because the band and Jonathan Demme directing are just at such a good form. But I don't think there's anything about this film that is exceptional to me. And like, a, I mean, I just enjoy it, I guess. Yeah. I think perhaps that's part of what I often find about 
concert films, I, I can find them sort of slightly greeting and, you know, the sort of the interviews with the backing band and the, and the sort of, you know, that there is so much sort of rubbish that comes alongside of it. And, you know, the reactions of the crowd that, you know, to a song that they're not playing at that point and stuff. I think this is a, a high, like you said, a high watermark for being the best concert film because it is the best portrayal of, of simply a, a fantastic stage show. And it doesn't overcomplicate things. And it does make you feel, I think, part of the audience. I think those those wide shots, I'm sure that would be part of the motivation behind them. Or um, you do feel like you're stood in the audience there's, watching them. There's nothing in the film that you would say is uniquely sort of cinematic about. It is very much a, a straightforward capture of, of what you what you would see at the concert, yeah. I mean, there's there's rare sort of like meta sort of gestures like pointing at the camera or like when the dude sticks his tongue out of the camera and stuff. But I mean, I guess that's an interesting part about this film as well as it's like a concert that was planned to be filmed essentially, or like multiple sort of stuck together. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's much more to say about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's a fantastic piece of, of extremely energetic um, performance uh, and a band at their peak. And uh, it certainly makes sense. There you go. Okay, we need to find a piece of art that we don't like next. We really don't <laughs> we're, like. No, we're not. Well, no, hopefully we can find one that one person suggests and the other. I don't know, maybe we can have an there's argument. Like, there's like, a, like an argument going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, I see. <laughs> I think we're too nice for that. No, I just need to ask around, see what you hate, and pick it. I have a um, another instalment of your favourite quiz, "Price It Up," but it's linked to it's linked quite well to this. If you if you'd like that right now, I think that would be a good sort of segue out of. Okay, well, I, I have a little trivia quiz as well, but I mean, okay, it's not well, well it's, it's generic like all my trivia quizzes. <laughs> I'm providing like the boring version. Right then. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. Okay. Um, so yeah, this is um, price it up. This is where I give Joe four items, and he has to uh, uh, he has to tell me which one is most expensive to which one is uh, least expensive. Or you can do it the other way around, as long as they're uh, correct. That's all I want. How expensive are big suits these days? Well, I couldn't find a big suit. <laughs> okay. So I've gone for just a grey suit. That's what I've gone for. That's your first item. Okay. Uh, your second item is a beginner's bongo set, if you would, you know, for your sort of percussion. Yes, an excellent bongoing on this album. There, yeah. there was some great bongoing. Your third item is a, is a nice tall lamp with a lampshade. <laughs> and your fourth item is a, bo- is a boom box um, as brought on by David Bird at the start of the film. Okay. Now, this is quite a difficult one. Yeah, it's, the difficulty's gone gone up. Is is this again like with the leather gloves last week? You're going for pretty cheap iterations. I'm going for the cheapest. I'm not going for like the sort of stupid options, but I'm going for the most reasonable, cheapest options. I'm not trying to sort of. I'm not trying to. Uh, right. So we've got suits, boombox, bongos, and um, you got the lamp. The, the no, I haven't lamp. got the lamp. Yeah. I mean, 
This is essentially your beginning, a beginner set to making your own stop making sense. If you had these four items, you could probably have a go at it. Okay, can I ask what your interpretation of boom boxes? Yeah, like like the sort of cassette um, box, you know that you you know the sort of. So it's it's going to be a vintage item then. It's not like no, you can it's, buy it's anymore. Not. This this is a contemporary version of it. I've not gone for a sort of vintage. But can it still play cassettes? Yeah, I think that's the point of a. Of a well, it must be quite expensive box. then. It's a bit niche. Would you say it's expensive? I'm not giving. I'm not giving any, <laughs> I feel like I'm giving too many clues now. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I I can't imagine you'd buy like a retro boombox that cheap. But I mean, maybe. Okay. Yeah, go on. I'm going to be a bit risky here, but I'm going to okay. go. Lamp is the cheapest. Okay. okay. Then the suit is the next cheapest. And then bongos, and then boombox is the most expensive. I'm saying. I have to. Yeah, I, yeah you've had a nightmare there. I can't. Yeah, you've you've got them all wrong. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only way I can put it. You're manipulating me. You've gone for like a, a massive not, I'm, speaker. <laughs> I will tell you this. So coming in at the least expensive is the beginner's bongo set. Oh. Twenty-seven pounds and ninety-four pence. You can't find a suit cheaper than twenty-seven pounds or a lamp. It is a tall. It's got to be a tall lamp and a grey a grey suit. I'm, you know, I'm not. Going I can to find you a tall lamp. lamp cheaper than twenty-seven quid. The lamp that he uses is like sort of seven foot. You won't find a seven foot lamp for. Anyway, how in... much is lamp? Uh, so next is the boombox, twenty-nine quid. Okay. Uh, net, then after that, it's the lamp, 35 quid. Mm. And then after that is the grey suit. The cheapest one, decent one I could find, was £40. Okay. So I'm wrong. You are. Yeah, but it was a noble effort, Joe. It I really thought was. bongos would be quite expensive. Yeah, with the, well, I, I think the clue was beginners, beginners, beginners bongo set for mm. your beginners stop making sense set. Okay. Do you want me to ask you some questions? Yeah, why not? Go on. They're I'll less finicky. I haven't looked at the price of these. These are just trivia questions. Go on, Joe. I came up with them very late on. They're not particular. Well, they're okay. Okay. Number one. This is your best of three again. You've got to get all three right to okay. win, a, win a non-existent prize. I'll buy you a boombox. Okay. Jonathan Demi, the director of Stop Making Sense, also directed Science of the Lambs. What is the name of the sequel to that film? Oh, for God's sake. Um, you always do this with your questions. You, you, you make <laughs> me think, oh, I'm going to know this, and then you ask something completely that, about him that I wouldn't know. <sighs> the sequel is directed by Ridley Scott. God. Ah, it's not my area of expertise. Um, I'm guessing it's not Science of the Lambs 2. Or the silence of the lambs <laughs> returns. The lambs get silent. Yeah. Um, I really don't know, and I should know. You, Am I going to? Yeah, it's quite. A, it's one that rewards not thinking that hard. I would say. Oh God. Um. Really important. Oh. I shouldn't so, really be that annoyed because I gave you four really difficult <laughs> sort of prices. Uh, um, right. 
I don't know. Okay, well, the answer is Hannibal. Oh, fuck. Because obviously Silence of the Lambs has Hannibal in it. Yeah. Also a TV yeah, show. I have seen Silence of the Lambs. I haven't seen Hannibal, but... It's definitely a lesser cool. sequel. Uh, worth it. It's kind of camp fun. Okay. David Byrne's iconic suit in Stop Making Sense yes. was inspired by theatrical costumes from which Asian country? Oh. Um, I'm going to guess. I'm going to have a guess at a big one. You want to go for a big country because... Okay. Um, you'd, you'd think they have more costumes. costumes. Um, I'm going to go for Japan. Yep, crack. Come Absolutely. on. Oh, I don't it win the prize. Inspired anyway. by uh, Kabuki Theatre, things like that. Big Excellent. costumes, very expressive on stage. So that's okay. One more question. Stop making sense is the Talking Heads' second live album, I believe. Can you name their earlier live album? Um, no, I can't. Uh, but I might think of an, a title. You're just going to think of a title that you could name it? Yeah, if I was Talking Heads, what would I call the first live album? Um, interested how many it. did I get last week? Did I get two out of three or one out of three last week? I mean, the Joyce one was such a good guess that you should have had that, really. Um, yeah, well, I, I, think, I think I have in you my head that I got that one right. I can't remember, but you did well. Um, I think. I mean, I genuinely don't know. Should I know it? Is it is it related to an album or related to a song? I mean, it's it's not related to an album, but it is an album. So, like, <laughs> if you don't know it, you don't know it. I think that's not. Um. Okay. I'll call it live songs about buildings and food. Is that is that correct? It's called the name of this band is Talking Heads. Oh, you're joking me! <laughs> I thought that was sort of later. Okay, it might be later. It's another live album. I think it's earlier though. Okay, I'll let you off. Do you want me to fact check that? No, no, no. Okay. I believe you. Don't worry. Okay, it's fine. Yeah, because then you'll start fact checking my sort of cheapest suit options. I try and we'll, find we'll like, relentlessly looking for cheap. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't try and research how much a very big suit was. They're not that popular, really. They're not very practical. The oversized good, good suit. stage yeah. present. Well, thus concludes another episode of um, of the Beaten Track. It does. I feel like I had less to talk about uh, this week. Yeah, I think we were we were probably albums. a little bit uh, we were we were dissing live albums a little bit at the start, <laughs> and I think maybe there was a slight lack of. Um, enthusiasm towards them in general but more towards uh, stop making sense yep i mean maybe it's worth revisiting concert films sometime um i don't know there's ones that are a bit different or like concert documentaries like uh, gimme shelter or something is more exploring it as a cultural event rather than just like a display of a band playing so we'll see what happens yeah i suppose all right that's That's us for this week. Uh, Goodbye and thank you for listening. See you next time.